Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Later this hour, it is nesting season for bald eagles. We'll get an update on the most watched eagles in the world, the Decora Eagles from the Raptor Resource Project. But first, Jacob Inti lives in Ghana. He has long believed that going to America would allow him to truly begin to live his life, but he has been denied again and again. His sister Belinda went to the United States as a high school student, and she has never returned home. But in spite of that fact, she has still been waiting. She married into wealth, but she is waiting for her green card and has been denied again and again. She also feels like she's waiting for her life to begin. These siblings and their hopes, frustrations, and grief are at the heart of the novel What Napoleon Could Not Do by D.K. Neuro. Neuro is Ghanaian-American. He is a graduate of the Iowa Writers' Workshop and is curator of special projects at the University of Iowa Stanley Museum of Art. And he is with me now. Hello and welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Charity. This is such a pleasure. Thank you. So you bring such a unique perspective uh, to this novel because you yourself have lived your life with one foot in Ghana Mm -hmm. and one foot in the United States. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your background. Well, I was born and raised in Ghana and I uh, relocated to the U.S. um, exactly two days before my 11th birthday. I relocated to L.A. That was 1998. And, um, you know, uh, before before I relocated, I would say, like my characters, I thought um, America was the end-all, be-all, you know. And this is also still very true for a lot of people in Ghana. As you said, yes, I have had one foot firmly placed in Ghana and one foot firmly placed in the U.S. So I still have my finger on the pulse of how Ghanaians feel about this country. While I felt... Uh, that way, prior to my relocation to this country, I've advanced a little bit in my understanding of this country, which has so much, indeed, so much to offer. Of course, I, I would not continue to be here if this country did not have as much as it has to offer. Um, uh, but at the same time, you know, there are certain asterisks, if you will. <laughs> Big asterisks, the, the, yeah. There are certain asterisks, and I think these are the asterisks that, you know, as as uh, as I as I grew up as uh, as I grew up in the U.S., these asterisks became more and more apparent to me. Um, the story of America, yes, this very this country that embraces a lot. At the same time, there are certain tremors to that embrace that I I, I I came into the know about these tremors, and I try to capture those in the novel. Yeah. You, you show us a number of different experiences in the novel, um, but I want to talk more about your experience before we dive into yeah. those. Yeah. You had a unique experience as an immigrant because you— had family that you were very close to. Your mother was still yes, in my Ghana. mother. My mother has always lived in Ghana, so I left part of my heart in Ghana. Yeah, you know. So I, I, 
while I came here with a lot of joy because I was coming to the great America, I came here with a lot of heartbreak as well, you know. But also part of the reason why I have been able to return so often, it was, you know, I will say it was a blessing and a curse because with my mother still living in Ghana, yes, I had that heartbreak that that I think is still with me. I have to say, I do think it's still with me. But at the same time, I was able to return often because I would do something as cry. <laughs> I would cry to my father and say, Dad, I want to go back. I miss mom. I can't, I, you know, I've always been a bit of a mama's boy, I have to be honest. You know, um, and 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 that that benefit, it was, a, actually, I, I would say that luxury. I had the luxury of returning home to Ghana. There's a way that, uh, while I was experiencing some of these tremors, these American tremors, there's a way that going back home to Ghana gave me an opportunity for an escape. Yes, I escaped into my love and mother's bosom, but I also escaped some of these tremors that were not always so pleasant. Interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll talk more about you as we go on, but let's... Uh Let's dive into this novel. Now, I already mentioned Jacob and Belinda, who are the siblings, adult siblings that we find out most about mm -hmm. in this novel. But for you, a lot of this began with the thought of wanting to write about the world from the perspective of a child. Yes, Tell me about that. Very much. So the novel really began in response to what it's probably in my top three favorite novels of all time, Atonement by the great Ian McEwing. And in that novel, the conceit of that novel is that there is this 13-year-old girl, her name is Bryony Tallis, and um, she observes something going on between her older sister and uh, a man, um, a man she knows very well because he has lived in their house with them. And she misinterprets that. She misinterprets, I am intentionally keeping it vague because I want everybody to read the novel along with reading mine, right. <laughs> you know. But um, so she she experiences this thing. She tells adults, you know, of what she experiences. And not only is she listened to, not only is she heard, but she is believed. And I, you know, I had read the novel so many times. I, I was first introduced to the novel in 2011. And in 2015, I read it for the umpteenth time. And I'd, it finally dawned on me, huh, this conceit would never work in Ghana. Because in that country, not only are children not supposed to be heard or listened to, but they are most certainly not to be believed. Oh, so that is where the novel really began. I was interested. I was interested in the dynamics of a Ghanaian situation that would compel adults to not only listen to a child, but believe the child. And that's where the novel began. It began um, from there. And as a result, I, I, I conceived of this character, Alfred, who is this eight-year-old boy who by necessity must be listened to because he serves as the primary interpreter between the household and his deaf and mute parents. You have selected an excerpt that uh, tells us a little bit more of Alfred about Alfred. Would yes, you read it for me? yes, yes. It'd be my pleasure. It'd be my pleasure. In the tight grip of an expectant mood, Alfred slowly pushed open the bedroom door. He tiptoed in. On the right edge of the bed, his mother slept on her side with her hands clasped beneath her chin. Her head was half-propped on the pillow, and her body was curved. 
Robert faced her, the arch of his body more expressive, owing to the flexibility from his days as a sprinter. His pillow ballooned into two halves between his legs. His arms, which appeared abnormally long against the pale blue linen, reached out, as if to catch a toss or take his wife in his arms. One of the American storybooks Auntie Belinda had sent his father lay open on the bed. Mama de Gloria Naylor. Alfred pushed the book aside and crept between his parents. He could not decide whom to shake awake and announced that he was about to leave for the day. Unexpectedly missing his morning run, his father, he thought, might want to be rocked out of sleep. More and more the sky's blossoming orange was staining the curtains, further highlighting his father's prolonged sleep. Maybe there was a sickness he needed to sleep away. Alfred leaned closer to his father's lips and listened. The rasp from Robert was a normal sound. His father's breath did not have the added odor typical of Qatar. So he reckoned him to have been overtaken by a powerful exhaustion. About time, he thought. His father was always on the move. That is DK Neuro reading from his novel, What Napoleon Could Not Do. And Alfred is this eight-year-old boy who really is, he's at the center of the novel because he is beloved by everyone in the novel. In so many ways, he is the tie that ties them all together, mm. even though one of the characters who loves him has, has never met him. <laughs> um, in starting, I was surprised to learn that you started with Alfred because... There is this focus on Jacob, mm. on Belinda, mm. and Belinda's husband, mm. whose name is Wilder, mm. and he is an American. Mm. He is a very wealthy American mm. who was sort of born into a unique African-American oil dynasty. Mm -hmm. He also served in Vietnam. He has not been treated well by his country and, mm -hmm. and is angry, mm -hmm. very angry mm -hmm. about it. So we learn a great deal about him as well. But Alfred was your... Your springboard to these stories? Alf Alfred was my springboard to these stories. You know, there is an innocence to Alfred that I think, um, you know, is true, at least was certainly true of me. You know, I, I spoke earlier about these tremors. Uh, yes, this novel is primarily about these three characters. It is about Jacob, Belinda, and wilder and i describe them as colorful i don't know <laughs> and th that has all kinds of meaning but i also wanted to be able to capture their innocence and i think to some degree alfred allows them allows them to tap into their um childlike nature a little bit so while yes the novel began with Alfred, I think ultimately what I was trying to write, what I have always been trying to write, is a book that considers, you know, the the different ways in which black people look at this country. Black people on both sides of the Atlantic look at this country. So yes, while Alfred was my springboard, he allowed me, he allowed me to be able to capture these characters more fully, you know, um, in, in their colorfulness. I, there is a, there is a reader who 
her feedback to me was that some of the situations that these characters find themselves in feel improbable. Mm. <laughs> and and I thought, well, I think part of the reason why the reader responded in that way is because, you know, these situations that they find themselves in are very particular to a certain kind of person. If you haven't had to contend with a desire, and this reader has spent all their life in the U.S., so they haven't had to think they haven't had to think about, you know, how do I get to this promised land that is America? And deal with all of these challenges. And disappointments. Yes. We're going to take a short <laughs> break. We will be back in just a moment. I am talking with D.K. Neuro. His debut novel is What Napoleon Could Not Do. And we will continue the conversation in a moment. Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we will get an update from the Decorah Eagles and the Raptor Resource Project. It is nesting season, of course. Right now, though, with me is D.K. Neuro. He has just published his debut novel. It's called What Napoleon Could Not Do. It's a novel that spans Ghana and the United States and history and the Vietnam War and brings in all kinds of of really fascinating threads to give us a unique perspective on this idea of the American dream. And D.K. Neuro is Ghanaian-American. He's a graduate of the Iowa Writers Workshop. He's also curator of special projects at the University of Iowa Stanley Museum of Art. So it, this these subjects that you take on through the lives of your characters are are so big and and you help us have these experiences in different ways. I mean you were mentioning earlier getting a response from one of your readers saying that the situations felt improbable but for me as a reader who's never experienced any of this I found this to be a, a really powerful window mm. into life that that is so different. Thank you. I'm very from, glad to hear that. My own. And, you know, one of the, the things that we see, we see Jacob in Ghana longing to go to America mm. and in many ways putting his life on hold mm-hmm. in the hopes that he will get to go to America. And that is the land of opportunity. That's where he will make things happen. His state of suspended animation was really heartbreaking. But also, I'm curious, is that something that you feel like people in Ghana who see America as this promised land? Have you witnessed people putting their lives on hold instead of living their lives because of of the hopes of going elsewhere? Absolutely. Everything is negotiable when there is America to be won. Everything is negotiable when there is America to be won. Love, for example, is negotiable. So I think to some degree that when that reader said it's 
um, these situations felt improbable to her. I think what one of the things she was referring to in particular was Jacob and the fact that Jacob is married to a woman <laughs> that he's never met for yeah. five years and he claims to be to have fallen in love with her. And so does the woman. She also claims to have, they have fallen in love, but their love is negotiable because of, at the end of the day, it must be subordinated to the ultimate prize, which is America. It must be subordinated. So, yes, people will put people will go through all kinds of extremes because, you know, and I have said this in other interviews, there is this pernicious um, inconvenience in Ghana that. I tell you, Charity, people are desperate to flee. Nothing can be conveniently achieved. Ghanaians are some of the most intelligent people you'll ever meet. And I can say this confidently. Ghanaians, I am biased. (laughs) I am biased. But Ghanaians are some of the most intelligent. But the the structures in that nation, you know, um, the, 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 the precarity of the structures in the nation makes it a very inconvenient place to get anything done. So if if America seems attainable, oh my God, everything can be put on hold right. for it. Yeah. Belinda scores a very high score on the PSAT <laughs> and uh, gets to go to a boarding school yeah. in the United States. So this is this is Jacob's sister, and she's gotten the golden ticket. Mm-hmm. She goes to the United States and never returns. Mm-hmm. She is a student for a long time and she keeps pursuing academia mm-hmm. to continue to stay in mm-hmm. the United States legally. And then after she's done with school, she can't get a green card. Mm-hmm. She cannot work legally in the United States. And she ends up marrying a man who's an American citizen. And I think for a lot of us, that sounds like, oh, that's the solution. <laughs> it was not a solution for her. She could not continue to, or she couldn't get a green card anyway. Mm-hmm. And and we learn later that the reason she can't get a green card is because of her husband's service in Vietnam mm-hmm. and a mistrust from the American government mm-hmm. and mistreatment mm-hmm. from, from the American government for mm-hmm. a, a black soldier who served his country. Very much, yep. Um, so there's this, again, for her, this state of suspended animation. She has sacrificed all of these relationships in Ghana. Mm-hmm. She has this nephew who she loves, but she's never seen. Mm-hmm. And we see not only her in this state of suspended animation. She's wealthy, but in the state of suspended <laughs> animation. We also see Jacob's wife, Patricia, yeah. who has come to the United States and is working illegally and staying just above the poverty line. Yes. Also in the state of suspended animation because she also can't go back to Ghana because then she wouldn't be able to get back to the United States. Exactly. So I mean, that they, they have discovered that this myth that they believed in mm-hmm. isn't true, which mm. is something a lot of immigrants discover. Yes. Yes. I... I certainly did. You know, I certainly the uh, you know, America is America is the most well-branded nation in the world. It really is. America is the most well-branded nation in the world. And you know, I I I tell this story what, after the after 2020 which was an inflection point not only for this country but for multiple countries 
around the world, including Ghana. Um, you know, when I I I returned to Ghana in 2021, in December 2021, when we were allowed to travel a little bit again. And when I returned, it was starting to become clear to me that people, that myth had been cracked a little bit for people who had who had spent all their lives in Ghana. You know, the, um, you know, the people were more and more talking about George Floyd, you know, George Floyd. And all people had to say was George Floyd, which was, which communicated that some of these rose colored glasses were being at the very least marred, (laughs) you know. Um, So when that, um, when, when that happened, I thought, huh, Okay, maybe things are changing. Maybe you don't necessarily have to come to the U.S. for the myth to be um, to be uh, uh, to, th- to have the a clearer myth, view. Uh, exactly to have a clearer view of this country. So this was in December two thousand and twenty-one. In twenty twenty-two, I returned, and the myth had returned. Mm. You know, the myth had returned. It's a resilient myth. Somehow, it is a resilient myth. Somehow this well-branded nation, you know, um, had won out, if you will. (laughs) You know, this excellent branding had won out. So I think while, you know, a lot of us immigrants come here and we experience, you know, um, the truth of America, that it's not all it's cracked up to be, you know, it doesn't really have much of, a, of an effect back home. Interesting. We could go back and tell all these stories, but, you know, people will always say, well, at least you get to be there. At least you get to be there. At least you get to enjoy, you know, all kinds of all kinds of conveniences. At least you get to enjoy all kinds of conveniences. So, you know what? I, I Yes, we, we can. Exp- and, and I will say this, too. There are a lot of African immigrants who will experience the truth of America, that it's not all it's cracked up to be, and will overlook it, and will overlook it because they have this juxtaposition of where they came from, which ultimately pales in comparison to where they are now. Mm. Well, and I can imagine that the return moving back to Ghana and building a life there, given this mythology, mm-hmm. you would constantly having people have people asking you, why did you leave America? Why did you leave America? I mean, you would be a fool. <laughs> and and if you're going back, you have to have something quite durable to go back with. I'm talking wealth, serious wealth. You have to, you know, um, there are, I would say, there are goals that a lot of us come here seeking to take off. We want to build a house. We want to buy a car. We want to have a little money saved in Ghana. We want to remit our friends and relatives. You know, these are boxes that we, and until we have been able to check off some of those boxes comfortably, we're not going back. And if we do decide to go back, well, then, doggone you better come back with something really durable. Otherwise, people will ask that question yes exactly what you're saying people why are you back are you out of your mind you know i felt like especially through belinda's story maybe there was an expression perhaps of your frustration and the frustration of some other people that (laughs) that you know uh, the united states is a magnet 
for the best and brightest. It is. From Africa. And, you know, again, and there are opportunities mm. for students who show incredible promise to come to the United States and study. Mm. And that's what Belinda did. Mm. And then her potential was squandered. Mm. Is that is that a frustration that you feel like the United States is this huge magnet for the best and brightest from Ghana and yet the best and brightest don't get the opportunity to fulfill that promise here? Yeah, yeah, yes. And, you know, Maury, immediately I've experienced this at the Iowa Writers Workshop, you know, which is remarkably diverse. Uh, the director there, Sam Chang, has done a wonderful job of bringing diverse voices from all over the world, you know, and there are a lot of Africans there now. And I mean, the on these are some of the most talented writers I have ever met in my entire life. And after their two years or three years here, you know, they find themselves in a position where they must go back. They must go back um, uh, to 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 countries that, you know that are not necessarily going to support their art that are not so you find them in a rock and a hard place position where this country has welcomed them because they're bright this country has welcomed them because they're excellent but then after the after their tenure uh, pursuing their respective degrees. There's no they, plan. There's no plan. Yeah. There's no plan because their their student visas have run out. What do they do there? And that can be. I mean, finding yourself in that position is. I mean, it, it has to be among the great stresses of their lives. Well, and there's missed opportunities all around because. Institutions in the United States have invested in these invested individuals in and these yet individuals. have no way to prosper from that. Exactly. And the individuals have no way well, to prosper a, from that. It's a catch one. It's wow. terrible. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> we, we are going to run out of time because we have so much we can talk about. I'm talking to DK Neuro. He is the author of What Napoleon Could Not Do. Before we run out of time, I need to ask you about this saying, What Napoleon Could Not Do. Yes. Because this is something that Jacob and Belinda's father says yes. over and over and over again. He tells Belinda that she has gone to America. She has done what Napoleon could not do. Tell me where this saying comes from. It comes from my grandfather. My grandfather, who is this very eloquent man, and he never said congratulations. He always said, you have done what Napoleon could not do. And that was his highest form of praise. Um, now, what's interesting is that when I graduated from the workshop in 2016, he said congratulations to me. And I thought, oh, my God, if ever there were a situation that warranted me hearing that I had not what Napoleon could not do, here it was. But it, he died a year after that, and it turned out that he had been suffering from dementia then. Mm. So I know very much that he was feeling that I had done what Napoleon could not do, but he just didn't have access to yeah. his own depth of feeling. And the most... Um, accessible way for him to capture how proud he was of me was to simply say congratulations, which was very much unlike him. And that experience never left me. That experience never. So Belinda and Jacob's father, um, Mr. N.T., is an homage to my grandfather in all kinds of ways. The book is dedicated to him, but that character is also very much an homage to him. He, he was such a, great, a big reader, big reader and probably my biggest cheerleader. So this is in 
all kinds of ways an homage to Oh, that is lovely. Yeah. And you have done it. You have done what Napoleon could not Thank do. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. From your lips to his ears in, in, in heaven. In heaven. Thank you. So we only have about three minutes left. And um, there's this moment in the book where Belinda is at an art museum. She's there for a wedding and she walks into an exhibit of black artists and you describe some incredible artwork. And then I thought, oh, of course, he is also <laughs> curator of special projects at the University of Iowa Stanley Museum of Art. So I, I, I can imagine you brought some of your experience and your knowledge into creating that scene. And there are so many things that we could explore in that scene. But instead, tell me a little just briefly about your work at the Stanley Museum of Art at the University of Iowa. So I'm the curator of special projects, and um, that encompasses all kinds of things. But um, So I, I'm working on a few projects. One of my biggest ones. Uh, is a collection catalog that I am currently working on. And it's a groundbreaking catalog in the sense that um, the only people interpreting the art found in the pages of the catalog are fiction writers and poets. These are alums of the Iowa Writers' Workshop, alums of the International Writing Program, and alums of the Translation Program from the university. There are 31 writers featured in the catalog, um, and they have responded to highlights from our collection through poems and short stories. Um, and the catalog will also feature other highlights that have not necessarily been responded to, but in some way are in conversation with not only the stories, but in conversation with the works that have been responded to as well. It's an exciting project for me because it features, uh, as I say, the creme de la creme of the alums of these prestigious programs. One of the most exciting things is that the foreword of the catalog is written by the great Marilyn Robinson, who the Nobel Prize people need to get their act together and give that darn thing to her because she is very deserving of it. Yes. So um, that is one of my projects there. It's 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 something that I'm so proud of. It's an opportunity that thank God I have a leader like Lauren Lesson who saw who sees this vision, who saw this vision and continues to empower me to make this thing happen. And it's going to be published in September and I look forward to just putting it out there in the world. My my second baby of the year, if you yeah. will. My second baby of the year. Well, that yeah. is amazing. And yeah. uh, you definitely need to come back in September, if not sooner, to, yeah. <laughs> to tell us all about it. DK Neuro, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a pleasure. This was such a pleasure. Thank you. DK Neuro is the author of What Napoleon Could Not Do. It's a fascinating novel that follows the lives of different members of a family in Ghana, in the United States, and also even in Vietnam during the Vietnam War. D.K. Neuro is a graduate of the Iowa Writers' Workshop. He's also curator of special projects at the University of Iowa Stanley Museum of Art. Coming up in just a moment, it's nesting season for the Decora Eagles, and we'll find out what we will be looking for on the Decora Eagle cams this year. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion.
including above and beyond cancer. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. It is nesting season for bald eagles, and that also means it's time to tune into the Decora Eagle Cams. For more than a decade, people all over the world have been observing the Decora Eagles thanks to the Raptor Resource Project, and every year brings something new and fascinating. John Howe is executive director of the Raptor Resource Project, and he is here with me now. Hello, John. Hey, good morning, Charity. Thank you so much for coming back, and... John, it's it's almost hard to talk about the Decorah Eagles because I have, you know, more than a decade's worth of knowledge from from watching all of the different yeah. developments every year. I, I want to start with, for people who aren't familiar with the, the Decorah Eagle cams, and uh, you give us the opportunity, of course, to, to really get up close and personal with these incredible creatures and other incredible creatures as well. Uh, just for, for the general population. Tell me a little bit about what people can see when they tune into the Decorah Eagle Cams. Yeah, so we've got Eagle Cams, and specifically in this special valley down by the Decorah Fish Hatchery, and for over 13 years, uh, this live cam um, has been tracked in these eagles. Uh, Right now, we have a new pair of eagles that came into the original nest, uh, the nest that was in the nature production American Eagle that started this all off. And we've got a female eagle. We're referring to her as Hatchery Mom, and she's sitting on two eggs right now. They're, she's incubating those eggs, and, and uh, she's doing most of the duty, especially overnight. And then the male, which we're calling Hatchery Dad, he's, uh, he's actually perched on the bluff right now, and he's... Uh, resting and kind of taking his off shift. Uh, every once in a while, he'll bring in a, a, a floppy fish or something into the nest and, and check to see if it's time to do uh, incubation transfer. Well, and this nest, this was the first nest that we started watching on the Decori Eagle cams. There have been a lot of things that have happened with this nest over the years. Right. But last year... It was very disappointing to a lot of people because the eagles didn't nest in this nest. In fact, the eagles that had been nesting there moved to a different location, which is, that's their prerogative, but that meant that that you couldn't put a camera (laughs) on them. And a pair of Canada geese actually nested in this eagle's nest last year. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, that was quite a surprise. And, um... I, I noticed this, and we've talked about it before, and we've seen uh, a lot of interaction with Canadian geese there in the valley. Actually, up on the bluff where we see the eagles perched, uh, up on that top of the chimney rock on the corner, probably for five-plus years now, there's been a nesting pair of can- Canadian geese up there. And then last year, we actually had one kind of on the opposite side of the bluffs up the creek uh, uh, we actually had two pair there and then one in the eagle nest. So there were actually three uh, nesting pairs of Canadian geese kind of all in a line, bluff to nest to bluff. And we didn't have eagles uh, on the nest last year, but right around uh, May time period, this new pair of eagles came in. They pretty much claimed the territory from mom and DM2, which are over kind of on the upper Iowa River over towards the Walmart there in Decorah. 
and they claimed the territory, and they, they started building on this starter nest that we put up in that original tree. We were thinking we might be able to entice uh, our other eagles back, and that didn't work, but it worked with this with this new, we believe, probably younger pair. So after, I, I think 2012 was the last season that we had eagles in that original nest tree above the the whole house garage there uh, next to the hatchery. So, so a decade later, last year, and, and plus one year now, we have eagles there. It's so exciting. Does this feel like the beginning of an, a new dynasty, a new chapter with Hatchery it Mom does. and Hatchery Dad? Yeah. <laughs> it does, and it, it just... Uh, it, the kind of the the how things have worked out, you know that we have we've got the decor north nest, and when mom and DM two moved uh, away from the area, and we didn't have active uh, egg laying and and hatching and incubation and all and fledging and all that good stuff, um, we pretty much had some a couple really good years of activity at our decor north nest, uh, and uh, just this this last year and. Really, the exciting part of this has been finding out, you know, with a totally different pair of eagles, are they going to lay eggs? Are they going to be productive? Uh, Is uh, Hatchery Mom a a two-egg-laying bald eagle, or is she going to lay three like uh, like Mom Decora uh, has in the past, uh, typically every year? So we're finding that out, and now we know she's a two-egg layer, at least based on this season. And so there are two eggs in that nest. When do we think they will hatch? Yeah, so based on when she laid them, uh, there's an incubation period right, roughly right around 35 days. So that puts us on, on hatch watch like right around April Fool's Day. So first week of April, um, we should see uh, they really the eagles, they can sense movement and the the chick that's ready to, you know, start scoring that egg from the inside and coming out is making uh, some audible chirping noises and things like that. So we'll be starting to look and see that kind of intensive activity from the parents. And then it's just usually a matter of several days and, and we've got eaglets. One of the things that that is so enjoyable about watching the Decorah Eagle Cams is that we get to see the partnership between the male and female eagle. And and they share so many of the parenting duties, which is not universal among all species. But tell me a little bit about that with bald eagles. Yeah, so I I mentioned that before, but typically the female eagle is the one who uh, exclusively almost incubates, you know, during the nighttime period, and then the male will come in and relieve her. Um, uh, Just a quick offset, on the north nest here this year, something's happening with intruders and distracting our our female eagle there, and and the male eagle, Mr. North, is the one who's been doing exclusively all the incubation at night. So I think a first that I've never heard of that. Uh, um, but uh, 
as the hatching process happens, uh, male eagles, male falcons, other raptors are typically the ones that you know pick the territory and attract a female in. And food and food gifts are a big part of that, kind of just like humans with with chocolate and flowers and things like that, right? <laughs> but uh, um, so uh, when the hatching happens, it, it's almost like clockwork. You'll see the male come in and bring in and start dropping fish and and it might be a squirrel it might be a a rabbit or something we kind of call it stocking the fridge so um uh he'll bring that food in and uh, a little bit more probably incubation uh again from the female the female overall um but as you mentioned they do share those duties and it's just it's amazing to see the synchronization between them in just watching being attentive They'll call each other and call the other one in when they need to get up and be relieved. It, it's just really, really neat to watch that. It's incredible. That, that it's incredible to watch. In fact, you know, uh, of course, you can watch the Decora Eagle Cams live, and you can go to raptorresource.org and, and find all the links that you need. You also uh, pull out highlights, which you can also link to from that site or find on YouTube. And, and we pulled a little bit of sound, which is one of my favorite parts of <laughs> of watching the eagles, is yeah. hearing them interact with each other. We pulled just a little bit of sound from a video of the male eagle bringing the female eagle a fish. Let's listen. All right, so we we heard just a little bit of chirping there, and John, right. you know, for for many many years, Hollywood would replace the cries of eagles with the cries of red-tailed hawks <laughs> because red-tailed hawks sound uh, more impressive. But it's so fun to to hear these giant, so such impressive birds and how they they communicate with each other in these little delicate sounds. Yeah, so and that what we were hearing there is kind of that it's a it's a vocalization made by the female and she'll ruffle up her feathers and it almost looks like she is getting ready to what we call mantle and that's they might hover over a piece of of prey and just protect it from other eagles to come in. But she'll start making and, and a lot of people refer to that noise. It can be a lot louder as tea kettling, um and they'll make that, that noise and it's kind of like, okay, are you ready to hand over that food item to me? It, usually it's a fish or something like that. Um, and those those uh, audibles, the, the one thing that I think that uh, most uh, um, impressed by is just with some of the studio quality microphone yeah. uh, and audio equipment that we've got there, we've even hear the, the vocalizations when there's contractions when the female is laying the eggs, there's a little chirp every time she uh, uh, contracts, uh, trying to to push out the egg. So just uh, some incredible uh, stuff to hear when you're you're watching, or even looking back on and watching some of the recorded video. So that's what's going on at the hatchery. There are two eggs. We're waiting for them to hatch the first week of April. The Decora North Nest was the one that got all the attention last year. I mean, a lot of people loved watching right. those, those geese as well. But Decora North was where we could watch eagles last year. What's going on at Decora North? So as as I mentioned, uh, um, 
uh, DNF, the coronary female, our female there only laid one egg, and she was a little bit off, a little bit late from her schedule. We have another pair of adult eagles that have been in the area. They don't have a nest there, we believe, but it just has pulled enough of her attention and just distracted her enough that she didn't have her normal two-egg-laying cycle. Um, and we think that her defending the territory as the larger eagle there, females are about 30% larger than the males, um, she's defending and the male, Mr. North, has stepped in and done that incubation. We've had a couple instances, probably one, you know, just where the temperature was dropping below freezing with the egg that is there. Um, we, I don't believe that the egg froze, and there's a, there's a lot of leeway in those early days in the first week or so of incubation where there's really not much developed of that embryo yet that the temperature can can swing actually in raptors that's called the late incubation and and that will actually help you know when there's three days in between two to three eggs um, that delayed incubation can make it so they'll hatch closer in time together so um, anyway uh, we're hoping that that egg is viable uh, there's a few cases where the egg has been uncovered, but um, eagles are internal body temperature of about 105. They've got that brood patch, and um, if they keep that egg uh, overall, you know, close to 98 degrees, that egg is going to be viable and continue to develop. So um, that egg was laid on the 20th as opposed to the 25th and 28th. So with that, we're going to be on egg watch probably the last week of February here to see if by chance this incredible instance of a male eagle doing almost the entire incubation was successful. Wow. And of course, finger, fingers crossed that we see that that eaglet emerge in the last week of March. There was also a, a very frightening moment where a fox squirrel tried to take the egg for right. themselves. Tell me about that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, with the time off the nest, uh, with with Mr. North going out and, and, and getting some food and, and stretching his wings and taking a break, there was a period one day, and I think there's twice, uh, the, the squirrels have come up there and the eagles will fold their wings or unfold their wings and they'll whack whap the nest with their wings and just try to scare whatever uh, that has happened a couple times but one time when he was gone this fox squirrel came up and it was sniffing around at the egg actually went right down in there grabbed picked the egg up with its two paws and then started rotating it and and really kind of trying to gnaw on it um i think think they could or would eat eat that if they could uh but they just cannot get their jaws open far enough to get it around that big circumference of that egg, which is about the size of a tennis ball. Wow. Um, and so rotated it, kind of like mouthing it, and figured it couldn't do anything and it put it down. So I almost look at that as kind of like a symbolic, uh, kind of like uh, Lion King. The fox squirrel came up and checked the egg out and held it up and... You are the chosen one. So we're, we're hoping that if that eaglet hatches, that it'll be a very special eaglet. Oh, well, I, th- will this be one of the first times that we've had an only eaglet on one of these nests? Um, we've had several, especially at the North Nest, we've had a couple years where, well, uh, the females there have been primarily two egg layers, uh, uh, DNF. So 
I think uh, last year we had two. We had a male and a female uh, eaglet. Uh, the year before that we had two, but then one of them perished in the first two weeks. So uh, we did have, we, we've had a couple of years where we've had, had one single eaglet. Um, that can be looked at as positive thing. You know, more, all the food goes to one eaglet. You've seen the, what we call bonking and uh, conditioning of the eldest eaglet, kind of like, hey, I get my food first, and that's kind of the the way of the wild, their uh, uh, fit, survival of the fittest. Uh, um, but, yeah, we've had other years where there's just been one, one eaglet and and uh, just, you know, more more food for that eaglet and and uh, more attention. And we only have about a 30 seconds left, John, but you're also keeping an eye on Decora Mom and, and Decora Dad, um, who yes. we can't have a video camera on because their their nest is on private property. But how are they doing this year? So uh, two years ago, they did. We did uh, observe and saw that they had hatched three eaglets um, uh, and fledged uh, three eagles. Last year, we watched and watched and watched, and it looked like they might have incubated. They're at a nest that we're calling N4. Um, right now, we've gotten reports from uh, uh, some of our volunteers, Robin Broom. Uh, basically, they're building on the nest right now. They're still bringing sticks into the nest. They have not laid eggs yet uh, that we can tell. So we're watching that with volunteers like almost on a daily basis, waiting to see if that happens, you know, just based on behavior since we can't see down into that nest. Well, John Howe, thank you so much for talking with me. Oh, you're welcome. John Howe is executive director of the Raptor Resource Project. You can find out links to the Decor Eagle Cams at raptorresource.org, and we will be watching for those hatches in the last week of March and the first week of April. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe.